0: Four and verse 23. I'm gonna start talking about the Beatitudes this morning. In Matthew chapter 4, we're gonna read verse 23 into chapter 5 and end in verse 3. So 4:23 to 5:3 as we read together aloud. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. When you found that. Hope you brought your Bible here. This is Bible Baptist Church, by the way. Matthew 4, 23. Let's begin. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatics, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people, from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan, now in chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's where we'll stop. Let's pray. Father, as we begin to look at these uh, teachings of Jesus, I pray that we would catch our breath and then let it be taken. Lord, I pray we just fall in love with just the awesomeness of what this kingdom represents and the fact that. We're invited to be a part of it, Lord. I ask you to now meet with us and rebuke the devil, and just make it so that it's a time just with us and you. May we all hear you, God. May there be no sin, no uh, 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 no uh, nothing clogging between us and hearing your word this morning, so that we can act upon it, so we can obey it, so that we can enjoy it. And I pray, Lord, for those who are in here and have never received Christ. They come to church, and I'm so glad they're here. And they put on a good show, but in their heart of hearts, they are as empty and as dark and as lost as can be. And that's not my judgment. It is the Word of God that says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And there's none of us who could say anything else except, but we are chief of sinners. So please help somebody to realize you love them, you died for them, And they can be born again if they would cry out to you with all their heart. Oh, Lord, please bless our our time today in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to rapidly go through some beginning thoughts here. We just read there in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has just passed the most impossible of tests that any human could ever endure I don't know if you've gone four days without eating. How about 14 days? Let's try 40 days without eating. Can you imagine how weak you might be? But he not only was staying away from food, he stayed away from all support, all encouragement. He was alone. And there, in incredible physical weakness, he was aggressively tempted and pressured to the very core, not by some demon not by some television program, not by some influence, but by the devil himself. No human has ever faced such a level of pressured temptation, and yet not wavered, except Jesus of Nazareth. He then, after that, he comes back into the region that we know as of Galilee, and throughout all the towns and the villages, he begins to preach something called the Kingdom. And he said the most amazing things, he says, it's coming back. He says, it's almost here. It's at the door. It's just outside ready to come in. And that excited everyone. The crowd said, kingdom, the kingdom is back. And thousands of them gathered around him to hear him as he taught about it. And why were they so excited? It was because um, everything in the Old Testament... Everything from Genesis to Malachi spoke about two things that were most important coming for them. One was another prophet, a prophet like Moses, who wouldn't just go over the old laws, but would give new laws. And who wouldn't just try to patch up the old hearts, but a prophet who would come and would give them brand new hearts. But not only was a prophet coming, but there was coming a kingdom like David's, that would never end. A kingdom that would never be overwhelmed by Babylon or by Assyria, but a kingdom that was, was filled with light and goodness and purity, and it would last forever. So here was a simple yet powerful man named Jesus declaring that both were now here. They said, Is this, they would come around and say, Is this that prophet? Is this the Messiah? And they all came to hear him teach. Now, why is the kingdom of God so important? Why focus on something called the kingdom of God when obviously people say that there are more important things we should be worried about, like poverty, like climate change and plastics in the ocean, overpopulation, and obviously the big one today, gender issues. Why not focus on those things? Because none of those things really matter. Seriously. Politicians and school teachers are basically lying to every generation from morning until night. Folks, uh, we will always have poverty. The more you give, the more people take. It is, you've got to give people a reason to work and an opportunity to work and because it builds self-worth when you do something and you're rewarded for it by being paid. But no, we'll just continue to have poverty. Climate change is absolutely normal, folks. Overpopulation is a lie. It is in our cities where some backhanded and some jerk of planners love to pack people on top of people. Folks, move out of the cities. There's no overpopulation. We just need to get some people, be elected, who will start to think much bigger than just making money off of people, jacking up the the rent so that nobody can afford to live. Overpopulation is a lie. There are only two genders. God in the beginning made them what? Male and female. That's it. Now, plastics in the ocean, well, that kind of is a problem. I'm not going to say that's not a problem, but I'm going to say the kingdom of God is something more to worry about then all the plastics in the ocean that are choking up our fish and actually going to kill us more than we can imagine. You see, God's kingdom is the main thing to worry about. The Bible calls it the first thing we should worry about. All other kingdoms, all other problems, and all other issues that you may be facing or that anybody could be facing are not near as important as living in the kingdom of God. Your understanding of the kingdom of God will determine your eternity. If you do not understand the kingdom of God, you will go to hell. If you do not understand why Jesus came, Nicodemus was talking to Jesus, and what did Jesus say? Nicodemus, if you don't get born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, well, how can this be so? He never considered what was, he was looking about the kingdom of Israel. That's what he wanted. Jesus said, you must be born again. If you don't understand it, you will lose out on eternity. And by the way, you'll, you'll not have to know how to live in this life, because the kingdom of God is not future, it's now. And uh, by the way, it is the center point of the Bible. From start to finish, everything, every conflict, every battle is over something called the kingdom. It's over who's going to rule. So, what is the kingdom of God? I introduced this thought to you last week on a vision Sunday, but I want to sort of just really help you understand when we say the kingdom of God, and I've got all kinds of things. We got all year to learn this thing, so don't say, well, I still don't get it, because bit by bit, you'll start to see the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. You'll understand the kingdom that's the everlasting kingdom, which is way out there in the future that will never. And, and you'll understand where the kingdom of Israel fits. All of these kingdoms are part of God's plan. You just got to make sure you're in the right one. So starting off here, what is the kingdom of God? Whatever it is, it is what Jesus said we desperately, desperately need to, to seek after. Let's see if we can remember Matthew 6, Can you say it with me? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So to seek it first means you should find find the kingdom of God before you find a mate. You should understand and have and own the kingdom of God before you decide a career. Or else everything that you know and everything that you want to make you happy and everything you know you need to make you happy is gonna slip through your fingers like sand. And your life will be a waste. You need to desperately seek after it. Secondly, whatever it is, According to Jesus, it is the theme of his message everywhere he went. I say Mark 1. I'm going to take you to Luke uh, chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. <clears throat> Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. The kingdom of God, whatever it is, I'm going to tell you what it is in a moment, is the central theme of Jesus' teaching everywhere he went. Not the kingdom of you, not the kingdom of me, not the kingdom of the church, not the kingdom of Rome, not the kingdom of or empire of anything. The kingdom of God. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 1. It came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Everywhere he went, it was the focus of his teaching. So what is his kingdom? It is not of this world. You can't find it here. You're in Luke, go to John chapter 18. Gospel of John chapter 18 and verse 36. John 18, 36, Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate has him in a corner. He's about to to call forth For him to be crucified, he says, you got one last chance. Tell me about your kingdom. You're trying to take over, aren't you? In verse 736, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. You ought to circle that, underline that. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now it is proven that my kingdom is not from hence. So, it is not of this world, we'll call it this, it's out of this world. You can't find the kingdom of God here. Secondly, it is not physical or visible. Two verses. You're, you're Go to Luke chapter 17 first. Go back to the left, back to Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Luke 17 and verse 20. <clears throat> and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come. Because that's all Jesus talked about. And he says, okay, well, when is it coming? All right. He answered and he said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. I've been there, watched people get saved, and I've never seen the kingdom of God come in their life, but I knew it was there. You can tell it. I also could tell you when it's not there. But it doesn't come with observation, okay? There's no halo that appears over their head. There are no angels that appear uh, on the corner of the house singing, or you don't see the kingdom of God come with observation. Verse 21, neither shall they say, Lo, here, or Lo, over there. For behold, the kingdom of God is where? Alright, it's invisible. It's inside you. So it's not physical or visible. Third, it is mysterious. It is a mystery to the world. Go to Mark. Mark chapter 4. Back to the left some more. Mark chapter 4 and verse 11. Jesus uses this phrase quite a lot because he's not just got his 12 disciples with him, he has a load of people who are trying to follow him. And so as they gather there, he says these words to explain to his disciples why he uses parables. He says verse 11, And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to them with or without, those people who are just hanging around outside there, all these things are done in parables. So I want to tell you that uh, the kingdom of God is a mystery to solve. How many of you like reading mysteries? It used to be a favorite. I, there are a lot of people, I don't know if any, uh, you know, anybody likes them today, but when I was growing up, there was a certain category of books called a mystery novel. And I was terrible because after about two or three chapters of it, I'm going, okay, this is getting boring, and I read the last chapter to find out who did it, you know. But the mystery of, of a conspiracy, the mystery of a murder, that intrigues, and it ought to intrigue you, where you say, I want to know who done it. Well, when you come to the kingdom of God, it is a mystery, and God wants to know, do you care to know why? Do you care to know how things work? So the kingdom of God is not something that's just spoon-fed to you, it is something you need to want. That's why it's seeky first It Yet, I want to say not only is it not of this world, not physical and invisible and, visible, and it's, a mis- it's mysterious, but it is still, even though you can't go and move there, even though it has no flag, it still, has, it still is a kingdom with laws and citizenship. It has a king, it has subjects, and it has great benefits. Do you know in the kingdom of God, people are alive forevermore. In the kingdom of God, people enjoy life even though they find themselves in prison, even though they find themselves in, in, uh, 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 in, in under persecution, even though they find themselves with their health failing and they're uh, bedridden. The kingdom of God is full of people who are alive and enjoying life. It is where people are free from the dominion of sin and of Satan, and they're even free from the curse of their self. It has one king. And I got this, I got this thought... Jesus Christ never saved a soul whom he did not first govern. That's why, that if thou shalt believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, and shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Do you want him just to just come into your life and just put a ticket to heaven in your back pocket and then walk away? Is that salvation? Or do you finally realize, I Am doomed. I'm lost. Dear God, save a wretch like me. I surrender all. I have no idea what I'm getting into, but I know it's got to be better than what I am. Amen. See, God doesn't negotiate. He's Lord. Amen. Now, you don't have to fully understand that, but you've got to understand He's in charge now. Amen. So this kingdom of God is not just something where you sort of just dabble and it's not a, a shopping Market, it's not a shopping mall, it's not a store you go in and you get what you want and you walk away and live your life the way you want. No, it is a realm in which you live now that is different than you used to. And everybody's got to get into it. John 3, 3, where Jesus looks at that very devout, very dedicated, very zealous Nicodemus and he says, you must be born again to get into the kingdom of God. Now, in simple words, I'm going to boil this down. The kingdom of God is God ruling in the hearts of yielded men and women, where he's allowed to overrule anything or anyone else, even overrule you. See, I don't like where you got me, God, but you're a Lord. I don't like what I'm going through, God, but you're Lord. You're the boss. You're in charge. This is your kingdom I'm in. This is not a negotiation where I tell you what to do. It's me learning what you tell me what to do. The kingdom of God is God ruling in your heart, overruling anything else. I hope you want it. That's why it's called salvation. Because God's allowed to take possession. I, listen, how many of you want to give God your sin and your punishment? Amen. But you're actually not just giving him your sinful record, you're giving him your life. By the way, under his rule, I'll tell you a, a little secret. You're finally blessed. That's why chapter 5, what are the words that you hear over and over and over? Blessed. Blessed are you because you're finally in the right kingdom. <clears throat> so, what are the Beatitudes? When we get to Matthew, go back to Matthew chapter 5 now. When we get to Matthew chapter 5, we're in something called the Beatitudes. It's been called lots of different things. I like the B-attitudes. Things you're supposed to be with an attitude most everybody I know has an attitude, but not the right one. But what are they? Well, these are the beginning truths about the kingdom of God. When Jesus is teaching, in, in chapter 4 we read, he went everywhere teaching about the gospel of the kingdom. And in chapter 5 we hear him, it's the greatest sermon ever preached. And believe me, he didn't just preach it once. He would preach it one day on the top of a mountain to 10,000 people, Another week he'd be teaching in a plane in Luke and be teaching to another 10,000 people. He taught this everywhere he went. And they are the beginning truths that are out of this world. Doesn't come from any culture. You know, uh, we all come, all of us in this room, we've got at least 25 different cultures we come from. But you know what? The kingdom of God has its own culture. And I adapt how I live to the kingdom of God, I don't, don't don't just say, well, I've got my culture, he's got his culture. That, that's not how a Christian lives. A Christian lives by being like God, by like how God designed us. That's why when, when there's a call for us to assemble for prayer, we all come. Not because it's a cultural thing, but because it's a Christian thing. So why do we tithe? Not because it's what we do. I mean, if your if you're, um, uh, accountant looks at your... Uh, um, your finances and he looks and he goes what is that what are you doing with all that money going to church there you look and it says because I'm in the kingdom of God it's not my culture that I, I worry about it's the kingdom of God I worry about so these are the things that don't come from our culture they don't come from a science book they don't come from religion they're out of this world they are the opening of our eyes to what it's like in the kingdom of God and Jesus devotes three chapters to telling us what it's like in his kingdom. Secondly, they are the attitudes of a follower of Jesus. They are third. They're how we are to live now. Right here and now. These are not things that we'll live when we're in heaven. How many of you know we will, we will be nice in heaven? How many of you know that we will be nice in heaven? How many of you know that? Come on. We will all be nice in heaven. Amen. Jesus didn't say, blessed are ye when you get to heaven. No, he says, blessed are you when you're nice now. Amen? So the Beatitudes are for here. Even though I live in Ireland, I'm a citizen of a third country. Now, I've got citizenship from America, I've got citizenship in Ireland, but I have a third citizenship which overrules all. And that citizenship decides how I react now. Now, the opposite of Beatitude, are you Ready? Oh, I'll tell you that in a second. Let me tell you what it means. Beatitude means blessings. These are the blessings of, of being in the kingdom. It is the benefits of being in the kingdom, the happiness, the beauty. So when you hear Beatitudes, these are amazing things that we're going to talk about. But what's the opposite of Beatitude? Misery. So I hope you realize how important it is to learn these because the only alternative, living in ignorance to the Beatitudes, is... How you already are miserable. I'm gonna say two last statements about this where we get into the Beatitudes. Number one, they are not for everyone. When people talk about Jesus, and they talk about, oh yes, I, I love the Beatitudes, don't they say that? But these Beatitudes were not written to busy company managers or successful football coaches, or to ambitious politicians. They are written to those who gather at the feet of Jesus. Do you understand? You, you can try all you want and try to live by these beatitudes and not go to church and not uh, read your Bible and not yearn to be like Jesus, and you know what? They will only damn you. You will work on trying to make them more and more part of your life, Folks, if you're not in the kingdom of God, these things will do you no good at all. The Beatitudes were written for those who gathered at the feet of Jesus and they hung on every word. By the way, they're not a way to become holy. By doing these things, you're not going to be better or more more closer to God than somebody else. Like a lot of churches teach, they are written to people who are already born again. This is not a way to get saved. By being meek does not make you saved. By by being persecuted, no, you're persecuted because you are saved. You You are having to love your enemies because Christ has loved you. Amen? All right. Last hard thing about the Beatitudes, they are not easy to live by, even if you are saved. It is not easy to change how you view affliction, is it? Very hard to change how you view being afflicted, being hurt, being uh, uh, upset by someone else or by troubles. It also is not easy to change how you view success. There's not one of you in this room that if you accidentally, I hope it would be accidentally, won that 130, euro, 130 million euro lottery on Thursday or Friday, If one of you ever did that, you know, it'd be hard for you to look at it from the kingdom of God perspective. You'd be thinking about it going, man, is God looking down on me. That's how everyone in this room would think it'd be very hard to change your view of success. Amen. If somebody phones you up and says, I know you're working for uh, the tire company, but we want you now to be the CEO of our company over here and make two million a year, you'd go, wow, I must be great. It is very hard to change how you look at both failure and success. The kingdom of God aims to change that and it'll be some of the hardest things you ever do. You see, in the kingdom of God, everything's backwards. Everything is upside down. And I got news for you. No one's going to... You may like what I'm going to teach you during these next few weeks, but you won't live by what I teach you these next few weeks unless you desperately want to. And even those who want to live by these things will find them the hardest things to attempt because the devil won't let you. And your flesh won't like it. Your old nature will fight tooth and nail because it will cost you everything. I guarantee you it will be worth it. You see, these eight attitudes are the opposites of what the world would imagine a Christian or anybody should ever have as part of success. That's why I call them the great opposites of the Christian life. Jesus says, it is awesome to be empty. daily, it's okay to be sad sometimes. He says, third, he says, if you take last place, you will win first. He says, fourth of all, he says, always be hungry For good. Never ever say, Wow, I've arrived. Show mercy and compassion and kindness a lot, and you'll be happy. Prize purity in your own heart, not experience. Everybody wants to try something. They come up with a new movie, everybody's got to go see it. Isn't that funny? There are some things where you say, I don't need to see it. There are some things where you don't want it to defile your, your heart. You see, Jesus said... Prize purity. Seek to make peace. And lastly, rejoice in all persecutions. That's the opposite. This morning we're going to look at just these first two and we'll ponder them. Why don't we pray again? I feel like praying. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be hungry for the kingdom of God. And to know that in that kingdom is such blessing that maybe we've never experienced simply because we've been living in our own kingdom. We've been ruling and reigning where Jesus belongs. Really, we never really ruled. We were a puppet under the dominion of the devil, and we never were happy. So, Lord, as we look at these two blessings, these two blessed kind of people, I pray that we would decide, that's what I want to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So, go to uh, to Matthew chapter 5. Let's read verse 2 three, and four. You don't have to read aloud. I'm going to read read two, three, and four. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We're going to look at those two this morning. And he uses a word there, blessed. It's throughout the Old Testament. You think the Old Testament is filled with cursed be? Cursed be. No, blessed appears more times than that. God wants you happy. God actually has a way for you to be blessed. God actually has a way for somebody to actually just be overwhelmed with joy. So let's talk about the meaning of the word blessed. It simply, it, it, usually everybody says what well, it means, happy. And there's nothing wrong with saying happy are the poor in the spirit, although that's a great contradiction. We'll talk about that in a second. But it means more than that. It means well-off. Well-off are the poor in spirit. Well-to-do. Helped are the poor in spirit. Encouraged. Rich are the poor in spirit. Thriving. Successful are the empty. (laughs) Here's a great word for you. Fortunate. You need to pay close close attention to those who Jesus is calling happy, well-off, and blessed. He says... Fortunate are those who are empty failures. Because we're going to talk about what it means to be poor in spirit. Those are people who have nothing to show for their life. He says, people, grief-stricken people are well off in my kingdom. Last place people, they're the best. Hungry and thirsty people, top-notch. Kind people, when you want to be vengeful and, and seek revenge, They're awesome. Clean people, they're at the top. Peacemakers, boy, they're my children. And hated people, wow, they're loved the most in my kingdom. Goodness gracious. The meaning of the word blessed turns everything on its head. Because this is impossible to enjoy unless you have a relationship with the king of that kingdom. So, when you find yourself going, I just don't get it, good. Let's see if we can sort of just meditate on this this morning. First of all, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now if I said, "How many are don't raise your hand. But how many are poor in money? How many of you know somebody who's poor in love? What does that mean? They lack it. They don't have it. So the meaning of the word spirit, poor in spirit, means you're empty in spirit. You're, you're on empty. You're low in your heart. You're empty on the inside. You're in need. You lack what you need. You're barren and empty on the inside. And here's the truth. When you are empty on the inside, you feel like a failure. There's no, There's nothing to brag about when you have nothing to brag about. Do you understand? This, When it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus is picking, pointing at the very bottom of the barrel. Who would ever call someone who is a failure in the eyes of others fortunate? (laughs) Jesus does. You see, how could anyone being empty be any good? Well, I'll tell you how. Because the kingdom right now is filled with broken, poor, empty people. That's what the kingdom of God is filled with. It's filled with those who have nothing to show for their lives. Who to the world may look like a failure, but to Christ, because of faith in Christ, they are rich in faith, even though they can't uh, um, put two pennies together. We forget this. Only those who are poor on the inside, only those who have empty hearts and empty lives will be rich one day in the kingdom of heaven. Do you notice that? Look back there in Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of... All right, so the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is where I am now, and I may be poor now, but... I'm going to receive, I'm going to win. I actually have one, a future kingdom called the kingdom of heaven. I'm empty now so that it can be filled later. The kingdom of God has to start with you at zero or else it cannot begin. Does that make sense? You cannot come to God and say, I'm ready, I have done all the education, I've done all the work, I know what I'm getting into, I'm so smart, I'm so educated, I'm so religious, the Lord says I can't do anything with you. Jesus said to, again, an old man named Nicodemus, you've got to be born all over again and start as a little child. Amen? You're going to have to empty everything you think you know and say, I'm just going to believe the Bible now. Amen? The kingdom of God begins at zero, with failures. Those of us who are poor on the inside actually are rich in the kingdom of God. You're rich in just being forgiven. Think about that. You have been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's a pretty big move, amen? I, 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 I've got a mansion in heaven. I have been made new on the inside. That makes, that makes for a pretty rich person. On the outside, my body may be falling apart. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> well, on the inside, I am new. I will never die. I have new citizenship. There are people who've been waiting for years. Andrew and Jennifer have been waiting for for uh, uh i don't know how long they've they've applied they're They're going on waiting to be accepted as citizens of Ireland. There are other people who've been uh, been striving to become citizens of Ireland for years. Let me tell you, I already have a brand new citizenship, and I got it the day I got born again. I'm rich. you know those who are poor on the on the inside, are actually wrapped in the grace and the goodness of God every moment of their life because they decided they needed God. They couldn't just live on their own. They can't, they, 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 they can't go a day without crying out to God saying, help me, help me, help me. Amen. Now the truth about our heart. I have some bad news for you. All right? You're in Matthew. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 All people are poor before God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Romans 3:23 says, "For how many? For all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God." Go to Isaiah 64. Back to the left, the book of Isaiah, chapter 64. Eric referred to it. Isaiah 64. In verse 6. All people, you and me, are poor before God on the inside. Isaiah 64, in verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, Best are as filthy rags. Would you blow your nose with the rag you just checked your oil with? Of course not. It's a filthy rag. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. We're dying, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Problem is on the inside, on the outside, I may look religious. On the outside, I may have the right words. On the outside, I may go to the right church. On the outside, I may have the right Bible. On the outside, I may have my finances right. On the outside, I may have everything, I may have everything looking right. But on the inside, my righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags. On the inside, I'm ruined. The challenge is to get us to own up to it. And start there. Go to Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10. Matthew 9 and verse 10. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many politicians. Is that what it says? All right, many rulers, business managers, no, many publicans, and oh boy. When they say a sinner, we're talking about somebody who wasn't just sinner hidden, but these were known criminals, known sinners. And they came and they sat down right next to him. <laughs> sat down with his own disciples, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why eateth your master with public sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole, healthy, need not a physician, but they that are what? They that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I, Jesus says, I am not come to call the righteous, because there are none, but sinners to repentance. You know why most people don't come, don't don't want to get saved? Won't come and talk to the pastor and say, I need to get saved. Won't cry out to God and say, God, save a wretch like me. God, I don't know how, where else to turn. I don't know how to believe you, but I just believe you. You know why most people don't do that? Because they don't think they're wrong. They don't think they're sinful. They don't think they're empty. And, uh, and they don't even want to try to be empty. Go to Mark 7, Matthew. Mark, next book. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. <clears throat> Mark 7:21 for "From where." From within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from where? From the heart, from within, and defile a man. So what's in the heart? Everything that will keep us out of heaven. We are so full of sin. And the worst poverty is not in your pocket or in your purse. Your worst poverty is in your heart because you lack God. You know what repentance is? Some people have never con- contemplated the meaning of the word repentance, but we're going to learn it this year. Repentance is you letting go of all that is in your heart. You can't get rid of it, but you can let go of it. And asking God for something better. That's what repentance is. Repentance is saying, I let go of my anger, my wrath, my pornography, my depression. I I let go of it. God, I ask to be filled with something better. Third thought. Only sinners who are broke and have no money, no success to their name. Only those kind can come to God and buy the eternal kingdom of God. Um, We were in Isaiah. Go back to Isaiah 55. Wonderful, wonderful scripture. Isaiah 55 and verse 12. So the word ho is the old way of saying, hey, over here, listen to me. Isaiah 55 verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money. (laughs) Is that poor? How many have no, I'm not talking about eight-year-olds, and usually eight-year-olds have more money than I did, Uh, but how many have no, I bet everybody's got some money somewhere, but here the, the statement is to poor people. He says, he that hath no money, go ahead, come. Buy and eat, yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money on that which is not bread? And you labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently, eat that which is good, and let your soul delight in fatness, or we'd say fullness. You know, broke people can buy the kingdom by faith. Number four. God will only help and bless empty people. hallelujah uh, psalm thirty four psalm thirty four to the left psalm thirty four verse eighteen because empty is where we must start psalm thirty four and verse eighteen. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is nigh near unto all them that are of a, what kind of a heart? You know, you think of a broken heart. We usually don't realize what that means. It means in pieces. <laughs> a messed up heart, hey. He's nigh unto them that have a broken heart and He saved as such as be of a contrite spirit, an empty, a tiny spirit, not full of itself, not like those puffer fish. They're fish in the ocean. Maybe they're fresh water as well. I don't know. But this, this fish is just floating around and then another fish comes along and shows some aggression. The thing fills up with water. You know what I'm talking about? To try to scare it off. That's how we are. puffer fish. And we fill up. We're so full of ourselves to tell them, hey, you're messing with me. God says, I'm near unto that person that is empty, and Zero. Psalm 51 verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. God will love it. So when you come to God and your heart is full of its own accomplishments, its own righteousness, its own conclusions, its own affections, and its own feelings, God can't help you. He cannot save you. He can't even bless you. Why? Because you have no room for the kingdom of God. You have no room for the kingdom. Matthew 13, go there real quick. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, verse 15. Start in verse 14. And in them, speaking of those who are hearing Jesus as he taught about the kingdom, and this may be true today, Matter of fact, I have just struggled with the concern that people are these verses in our church. Watch this. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which said, By hearing, well, ye shall hear, and yet shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. Maybe they had PowerPoint back then. I don't know. Why don't they understand? Why don't they perceive? Verse 15. For this people's heart is waxed gross. I mean, you went to a grocery store when you were younger. <laughs> now they're all shopping markets. And a, a grocery means it's full of stuff. And here, their heart is waxed gross. it's become full. Their ears are dull, bored of hearing. Their eyes, they have closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Verse 16, but blessed, here's that word, are your eyes, for they see in your ears, for they hear. God cannot bless you until you're empty. And until you look and you go, why don't I get anything out of church? I have blamed pastor all these years, but I found out the pastor's not the problem. I could be very boring, but the message is true. Amen? When you come poor in spirit, empty of yourself, empty of your goodness, then God can fill and will fill with blessings more abundant than you imagine. What does it say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, to them, belongs the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom that is priceless. Secondly, Blessed are they that mourn. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 4 now. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now people who mourn aren't just sad. Right? You, met, you probably meet people who are sad all the time. But mourners are people who are overwhelmed with sadness. We use the word grieving you ever hear anybody just sigh? That's a sign of grief. Grief is something we all run from usually. We can't live there. Grief just kills you. But it is normal and healthy to mourn. And, and really the truth is, the truth is, there is a difference between mourning and sadness. Because it's not healthy to be sad. You can have joy and yet sorrow. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes is right after Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and verse 2. Jesus says the kingdom of God is where grieving people can come and be blessed and comforted. Hallelujah. And thirdly, it is normal and healthy to mourn and not just be sad. Let me show you. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. It is better to go to the house of sadness. Is that what it says? No, it uses a very specific word. To a house of mourning. Then to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. Sorrow. And the living will lay it to his heart when you go to a funeral. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made what? So the truth is, sorrow ought to make you better. It doesn't become some place where you live. That's where depression takes over. You see the, the truth? So the right kind of sorrow, godly sorrow, the grief, where you come into the kingdom of God and you're grieving, where's the one truth? The truth is you find comfort there. You don't live that way. You don't stay that way. Keep going. The heart of the wise is in the house of the mourning, but the heart of the fool is in the house of myrrh and laughter. mirth and laughter. So blessed are they that mourn. God says mourning is important. It is absolutely normal and necessary to mourn the loss of someone in your family, say they died. Different people mourn different ways, but it is right and it is healthy. When somebody doesn't mourn, when somebody doesn't grieve over loss, when they when they never deal with how they feel on the inside, they're actually hurting themselves. It's absolutely normal to grieve over the sin in your own life too one of the furthest things from most people's mind is ever grieving about their own sin where is that going today you know i'm watching our nation here and i'm watching our world full of people who have no concern over the sin in their lives it's blatant it is it is turned from secret sin to just out and out they they the Our culture, the Western culture, is seeking to glorify every kind of sin that grieves me. It ought to make Christians mourn. We meet on a Sunday, but you know it's okay to grieve and mourn over the condition of the world outside. There are disasters that will cause you to mourn. Troubles that people go through. Personal failures and hurts. But it's not right staying that way. Listen to Psalm 38. I am troubled, David says. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. I am feeble and sore broken. I've roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. For I'm ready to halt, quit. And my sorrow is continually before me. You ever felt that way? That's why we're studying Psalms on Wednesday night, by the way. Because that's life. And then verse 22 says, Make haste to help me, O Lord Help me, O God of my salvation. He knows where to go. He knows what kingdom to live in, even though he's grieving. Romans chapter 14 is our memory verse for the month. Romans chapter 14. In verse 17, Jesus said, Blessed are ye who mourn, they that mourn, because of this verse Romans 14 17 for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink it's not what you can hold in your hands it's not what you can put in your mouth it's not what can make you happy from this world but it is righteousness and peace and what's the third one? and joy blessed are they who mourn because in the kingdom coming into the kingdom and experiencing mourning experiencing grief experiencing sorrow that's okay because in that kingdom is joy. You know, in, in Christ's kingdom, and now, in the kingdom of God right now, we will mourn. There will be days you get up that you don't want to get up. There are going to be days where you feel like quitting. There will be days where you are made to quit. There are days where you are stopped and put into a hospital bed with no hope ever coming out. There will be times where you are just broken, where you're defeated, where you've tried to do everything right, and everything's wrong you're going to need some place to go where you can find joy. The kingdom of God that only place, folks. Because you turn to the pills, or you turn to the bottle, or you turn to Oprah Winfrey, try to encourage you, you turn to anything else, you will be sorely disappointed. Because in this kingdom, you won't stay mourning. I'll take you to a verse. Psalm 30, back to the left. Go to Psalm 30. In verse 4. Psalm 30 and verse 4. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. For His anger endureth but a moment. In His favor is what? All right, so He's not trying to crush you. He's not trying to destroy you. In His favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but you can write it down. Joy cometh when in the morning you know Jesus came to comfort mourners go to Isaiah we'll finish up with this thought here Isaiah chapter 61 Isaiah 61 and verse 1 Jesus quotes these verses when he's in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4 Isaiah 61 verse 1 the spirit of the Lord God is upon me Because the Lord hath appointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. That's that first one, isn't it? Blessed are the meek. Hello. He hath sent me to bind up the, what's the next one? It's the Beatitudes. Look at that. To proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim in the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance, the justice of our God, to comfort all that what? Keep going, verse 3. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. Okay, so you're mourning. Okay, so you're at the end of yourself. So you want to quit. So everything's wrong. God has appointed to give unto you beauty for all your ashes. You know what ashes show? Nothing. There's nothing left. God can make it beautiful. Amen? The oil of joy in the place of mourning. The garment of praise to replace the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, not the the pit of death, the planting of the Lord, that he, God, might be glorified. What an awesome, awesome verse. Isaiah 35, go back to the left. Isaiah 35 and verse 10. Isaiah 35 and verse 10. And the ransomed, that's us, paid in full. Isaiah thirty five, ten And the ransom of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. And what's the last part? In sorrow. And what's that next word? <sighs> Not sighing like you 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 you've just finished something hard, but sighing of, of mourning and sighing Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Revelation 21. Last verse. Revelation 21. And verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn. Are ye that mourn. They shall be comforted. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. And God himself shall wipe away all Tears from their eyes. I may not be able to help you. There may be nobody on earth who can help dry the tears, help carry you through the valley. One of these days, God will. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Hey, If there's a better reason to follow Jesus Christ, I don't know what it is. Because God looks at us as we are. Poor, empty, worthless, ashes, failures, full of sorrow, full of grief, full of defeat. And he says, you want to be blessed? You want to know joy? Follow me. Blessed are you, even though you mourn. Blessed are those even though you can't bring anything to God and say, "Here, God, are you happy?" No, you don't please God by trying to bring something to Him. You please Him by coming empty and letting Him use you for whatever He wants. Here's the invitation. Here's the summary. These eight attitudes are not random. I'm going to show you over these next weeks that they are steps to work up from the first to the last. You can work on any of these attitudes as a Christian. But if you start with the first, being empty, and work from there, you get a whole lot further than just trying to start from the end. If you start from the end where you try to rejoice when you're persecuted, (laughs) try to be happy when people fire you, if you try to work on having that joy in persecution first, you're going to fail miserably. But if you start with emptiness, because only a humble person will find it possible to be meek, That works in a marriage, folks. That works in relationships. Only a humble person will find it possible to be meek, and only meek people become gentle and kind toward others. And only kind people will be able to ultimately show love to their enemies, even in the face of adversity and hardship. Does that make sense? These things that we're learning are step by step. There are three things I want you to consider doing this morning. Number one, I want you to want the kingdom. I don't know how to make it so that it's something you hunger for, but Jesus said you need to. You need to seek the kingdom of God first. Don't put off getting into it by believing in any other religious, well, I'm a Catholic, well, I'm a Protestant, well, I'm a Baptist, well, I don't care what you are, you must be born again. Put the kingdom of God first in His righteousness, everything else will be added to you. You know why most people go to hell? Neglect. They say, "Eh, not now. "Eh, You haven't quite convinced me yet. Let me tell you, I don't know what else I have to do. Seek the kingdom. because If you don't, it'll cost you eternity. Secondly, admit real poverty in you. Stop finding fault with everything and everyone around you. You know what poor people shouldn't do? They shouldn't find fault with other poor people. Amen. You know, rich people criticize each other. No Christian in this room ought to be finding fault with each other. There are plenty of them. You need to start seeing just how empty you are, how poor you are, and how full of yourself and how how full of sin you are. And then repent. Stop holding on to any of it and start following Jesus Christ. You know, as you follow Jesus, you'll discover every joy. You'll find peace that Jesus promised you, and you'll own everything that's ahead. He that hath the Son, if you get Jesus, has what? Life. You want eternal life, but you don't want to get Jesus? doesn't work that way. You get Jesus, and you inherit everything he offers Thirdly, go ahead and mourn for a while. I'm going to ask you to bow your head right now and mourn about the sin that's in your heart. Usually, the sins that we hold on to are the things that we don't let anybody else know are there. But it would be very good for you to mourn this morning over the sin that's in your heart. Mourn over the condition of your family condition of your marriage. Probably not that great. Go ahead and mourn over the lostness of your children, your brothers and sisters, or your parents. You know, you got a sneaking suspicion they're not saved. You ought to worry about it. You ought to grieve over it. I'm going to ask you to mourn for a little bit this morning over the condition of our nation. Over just how hard people have gotten to the gospel. Go ahead and mourn for a while this morning. Because when we're mourning, that's where we will find that verse coming true. Bless it. Bless it because you will be comforted. Did you skip over your own sin? Did you worry about anybody else's sin? Don't do it. Mourn. Mourn. Take a deep sigh and say, Lord, I'm a mess. Lord, I'm here in church and I want an encouraging time, but I need to be honest. I need to be very sad about what's wrong in me. I'm not handling things right. I'm not living right. I'm not thinking right. I'm not loving right. And I'm sorry. So sorry, God. And I'm coming to you not defeated. I'm coming to you trusting that you're going to comfort me and you're going to fix me. you something. I'm going to ask you. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Or are you a Christian only in name? You see, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, these words resounded within you. They echoed of truth and you said, yes. But if you're not saved, it will be like, what a waste. This didn't help me. It's okay. The devil would like to interrupt this. Just focus on this for a second. Look at me. Don't look at me. Keep your eyes shut. (laughs) This didn't really work over in your heart. I'm going to ask you, you need to get saved. You need to get born again because you're not going to see anything that I say for the rest of the year until you're born again. It is not possible for you to to see, understand, perceive, and love these truths unless you're in the kingdom. I'm going to ask you, would you like to get in? All you have to do, not just believe like the devil's, but believe with all your heart that He wants to save you, and that He died for you, and all you have to do is ask. Ask Him to save you now this morning. Ask Him to give you the kingdom, because He will. He doesn't hold anything back. Father, bless the thoughts this morning. May we all seek with all our heart the kingdom of God. We want to. We want to be blessed. But you know what's funny? If I just get into the kingdom, then I am blessed. Even though I mourn, even though I'm empty, I found the blessing place. I pray somebody gets saved this morning, and they they determine it, they, they know it, and they get public about it. In Jesus' name, amen.